Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between. And if you were the person on Reddit last week that recommended us as a cool little podcast, hats off to you. I did see your post. Thank you. Oh, that's good. Like <clears throat> Very a bit. Nice. It's nice that it's nice that we're mentioned on Reddit. It's quite a good place to go for info. So that's um, that's great. It is. I was actually searching for information about a story I was researching, and um, I just so happened, <laughs> you know, when you self Google, I just I just Googled <laughs> the name of the podcast, and um, we were on a list with other salubrious people. So. Um, uh, I don't know if you're a guy or a girl or uh, whoever you are, and but thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, Ben, today I, I've got an episode that features a number of themes that we're both fascinated by. Is that burgers and dogs? <laughs> I, I haven't got any burgers or dogs, <laughs> oh, sorry. No. Must be the paranormal. <laughs> well, what I do have is alien abduction. Oh, yes, that is a fascination of mine. Screen memories. Yes. And dreams. That is uh, that is the good trio. And basically what brings all these topics together is this remarkable book I read by Shallon Delarose, and it's called Alien Nightmares, The Awakening, and it's got a secondary title, Screen Memories of UFO Alien Abductions. Mm. The book is Sharon's first-person account of the dreams and nightmares that she experienced throughout her early childhood right the way through to her 40s. Now, Sharon believes that some of these dreams could be screen memories of multiple alien encounters and abductions. And what is unique about the book, Ben, is Sharon started keeping a journal of her dreams, chronicling them from her earliest memories right through to her adult life. Which is fascinating that we, you know, so you've got this kind of rich text of stuff that she's dreamt that she's then reflected back on. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess she must have had an idea that something was going on in the early days to have kept that record. Yes, well, it's interesting you say that because she points out not all her dreams were weird or not even all her nightmares were weird, but some of them, she said, felt different. She describes them as feeling more real, terrifying than the others. And this book is pieced together with extracts from her dream dream journal. So she kept a journal of all her dreams, but these are the ones that just felt different to her, that something else was going on. That is fascinating. Now, she comes to the conclusion that some of these dreams were actually screen memories. Now, we've talked about screen memories before, but... Those of you who are not sure what a screen memory is, I really like her description of what she believes it is in the book. She says, Screen memories are false memories that override actual events, which, if remembered, would be highly traumatic. I'd never heard this before, but she says, Some UFO researchers refer to screen memories as merciful amnesia. I have heard that come up You've heard that phrase, have you? I have, because as soon as you start doing the regressions... It becomes real and terrifying. Right, right. And Ben, I know that some people believe that screen memories are deliberately planted in alien abductees as part of the process, but I don't get that impression that that is what the author thinks. She describes them more in the way of 
your mind coping with a traumatic event. Ah. She says a bit like soldiers suffering from post-traumatic stress. So they're self-imposed illusions. That's what she thinks it is, a way of... And, and I'll go into more detail of how she thinks the process worked, but I think it's her... She's saying it's a way of processing something that has been repressed through trauma. It also may be some drug-induced um, stuff as well, which we'll get into. Okay. She points out, as I said, that not all her dreams were um, traumatic, but certainly dreams, some dreams stood out as being different, more real, more lasting. I like the way she describes them. She describes them as whirlwind dreams. And she says they were followed for days afterwards by vivid nightmares. Right. So you have this one occurrence that feels like what she describes as a whirlwind dream, and then there's these days afterwards of nightmares. Now, this pattern started for Sharon when she was just two years old and intensified leading up to her 10th birthday. The dream sometimes featured someone or something she nicknamed the Skeleton Monster. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it's going to be good. Doesn't sound like it was going to be good. Um, well, she later begins to believe this monster was actually an alien grey. Skeleton-type features, hollow dark eyes, and the fact that as a child she described it as having mushroom-like skin. Oh, that's so creepy. It is creepy thought that, isn't it? She points out as a child in the 1960s, she had no concept of what a grey alien was. In a way, it would make sense to describe it as a skeleton monster with grey mushroom skin. You can see it, can't you? I can, yeah. <clears throat> now, Sharon's skeleton monster made appearances in her dreams right through into her adulthood. Sharon writes, One particular dream was extremely vivid and it came when I was 35 years old. But the house involved was my childhood home. I lived in that house from the age of six through to 13 in the 1960s. Here's an ex extract from her dream journal. I looked out my second floor bedroom window and saw a flying saucer hovering at window level. Neat, I want to go outside. There was a whirring sound and the flying saucer landed in my backyard. It was whitish silver colour, a milky silver, and it was shaped like two inverted saucers. The flying saucer lent an unearthly feel to everything surrounding it. I started to go outside, but stopped. I wasn't ready to go yet. If I went to the flying saucer, it would take me away, and there was something I needed to do first. I went back inside to do it and tell my mum I was leaving. I don't remember her reaction, but it may have been matter-of-fact. In the backyard where the saucer had landed, there was a grapevine growing along the entire fence that separated it from our neighbour's house, and it must have been full because the grapes were ripe and full. In the flash of an eye, the flying saucer was gone. I could see it in the distance over the city off to the right. The flying saucer put on quite a show in the sky, which consisted of geometric patterns similar to crop circles hanging over the horizon. The patterns moved around and I wondered what was going on. In my backyard, the saucer had left behind a glowing set of concentric circles near the weeping willow tree. I wanted to go out and see if the glowing circles. I very much wanted to touch them, but I was afraid. 
The whole backyard had an otherworldly feel and the air was very different. The air itself seemed to glow, kind of like what you experience with a black light in a room full of black light posters, only in a milky silver white colour instead of purple. It was as if the air itself was a milky silver colour. It was spooky. I knew that alien beings were in the flying saucer, but I wasn't sure what type of beings, and that spooked me too. I expected the mushroom-skinned aliens such as my skeleton monster. I'd been very excited to go into the saucer until it came, and I realised that if I went away with it, I would never come back. It was so scary not knowing where I'd be going, and it was scary leaving my mum. That's actually heartbreaking. It's very vivid as well, isn't it? It's incredibly vivid. I mean, I suppose if you've experienced something like that, you don't know if that's as real as what other people have experienced. Like, I don't know. The closest thing a a person with average experiences gets to that is perhaps losing their mum at the shopping centre or something like that. Yeah. And you do get some of those feelings i can remember that at five or six if if i couldn't see my mum in the shop for more than you know for more than a minute i really would panic Mm. and i wonder whether that could be misinterpreted but then hearing what she's saying about all those other layers of feelings those are completely if you'll pardon the pun alien to me i don't i don't think that feels like a normal child experience no i agree i agree Well, Sharon points out that over the years, she encountered two different types of aliens in these dreams. She was not so afraid of the grey skeleton monster, but the other one terrified her. Oh, God. Is the other one a reptilian? There is no description that she gives of the other one. I don't think she ever saw it as an alien creature. we'll We'll come on to it, but she does more describe it as a a kind of... Um, an evil man or a scary man um, yeah almost almost from my memory of the book almost at times men in black like I would say right okay even though that dream I just mentioned occurred when she was 35 she does believe it's a screen memory resurfacing from her childhood in the 1960s In the book, she lists many examples of UFO incidents and flaps from that period around or close to the area in which she grew up, which was in Rochester, New York. She says, Here I was living in the house where I dreamed of a UFO landing in the backyard. I was a child experiencing the skeleton monster and whirlwind dreams, and this was right in the middle of the hottest UFO activity imaginable. The big blackout of 1965 the Kecksburg crash of 1965, the scattering of local UFO reports in 1966 from credible witnesses, and the great Ithaca flap of New York in 67 and 68, all of which perfectly coincided with my bizarre childhood dreams. She's done her research. Yes, that that's an interesting thing. It's almost like when these dreams... At a certain point, she kind of was like, hold on, is this connected with UFOs? And did a lot of research into the topic, which will come on to some sceptical stuff later, but that can could be problematic in itself. Mm, mm. So I've got another dream uh, from her childhood, which features this skeleton monster, and oh, this one's scary. This one's really scary. 
She says, I was somewhere between five and ten years old. We were vacationing at a cottage at Canadagu Lake, I hope I said that right, which is one of the Finger Lakes in upside, upstate New York. At the cottage were me, mum and dad, my cousin, Abby and her family. Abby and I were the same age and spent a lot of time together growing up. Everyone was asleep, so it must have been night time. I was lying on the couch in a finished basement near the bottom of a stairway. Under the stairway was a door. The door opened, about a foot and a half, and the skeleton monster came out. It leant over me until its face was inches from my own, opened its mouth and forcibly breathed on me. Imagine breathing in as deep as you can and then forcing the air out with a loud sound as if emitting a disgusted sigh. That was the sound of the creature made when it breathed on me. The next thing I remember, I was waking up the next morning. That, um, I've never really heard anything like that before either. That sort of, that feels like the creature was trying to scare her. Yeah, and she had that when she was a child. She also had a similar dream as an adult, but this time the dream featured strange lights and UFOs. Right, okay. Now, as I mentioned, Sharon logged all her dreams in her journal. These different dreams, more vivid, more real, would happen three or four times a year when she was a child, two or three times when she was a teenager. But as she got older, they started to become less frequent, stopping altogether in her 40s. So when these dreams occurred, she often woke up. This is really interesting. She woke up feeling like she'd been drugged Mm -hmm. for these specific dreams. Now, Ben, we've looked at many abduction stories. There are some recurring themes that abductees report happening while on the spaceships. I mean, we've had it, and we generally they involve medical-style examinations. Not the probe, not the probe. <laughs> it's always the probe. <laughs> Harvesting of eggs, hybridisation programmes, the stuff, we've covered lots of this. It's, yeah. it's almost a trope of UFO abductions. It is. What I found amazingly interesting is that Sharon's experience of what she believed happened to her are very different. She says, very few of my dreams or memories included such things. They focused more on solving puzzles. That's a curious thing to say. It is, and, and the dreams are just as weird. Here's one example. I was standing in the centre of a bare room perfectly square and totally devoid of furniture, windows, doors, wall hangings or decoration of any kind. There did not appear to be a way in or out. Just below the ceiling, hugging the wall as it made a circle around the room, was an unknown object or entity. It was circling so fast that I couldn't see what it was. I could only see the movement. As it circled, which it did throughout the dream, it made a very gradual descent down the wall. I felt both speed and slowness, creating an odd sensation. At the base of the wall was another circling object, this one circling very slowly. In spite of the slow movement, I still couldn't see the object to be able to describe or identify it. I could see the movement, but not what was causing the movement. As this one circled, it moved up the wall towards the other circling object. I thought that I might have heard a whooshing sound, but I wasn't certain. Then the dream gets truly bizarre. 
I cannot even begin to offer an explanation for what happens next. It's totally nonsensical, and if it wasn't for the frequency of the dream and the drugged feeling that I always came after, I would have dismissed it as pure fancy. In the middle of a ring was a giant loaf of sliced bread. (laughs) Wow. The loaf towered over my head. I was supposed to move the slices of bread from one place to another. It was urgent that I finish the task before the two circling objects met. If the objects collided, it would trigger a great catastrophe. I felt the overpowering sense of impeding doom should I fail to accomplish the strange task given to me. I didn't know what would happen if I succeeded in moving all the bread or whether achieving the goal would prevent the objects from colliding. I don't recall ever finishing the task, nor do I recall the two objects ever colliding, in spite of having variations of this dream an estimated 50 times. I always woke up before the objects actually collided. That does sound like a fever dream. It's weird, isn't it? It's very um, an anxiety dream as well. What is, what's interesting in this recurring dream, the whirling objects, which Sharon believes are some kind of timer, remain consistent, but the task she had to perform would often change. But generally moving a large object piece by piece across a room and then reassembling it. Sharon describes feeling like a lab rat or like she was being trained like a dog. Yeah, I can imagine that she would, but I don't know. Those recurring... I mean, I've had recurring dreams which have been... It depends how you... I can understand what she means by trying to solve a puzzle. Yeah. But I've had ones where... Not bread-based. No, no, not (laughs) bread-based, no. But um, usually it's trying to get... There's a, there's a very particular classroom in my old school and the stairs are falling away and I have to get through them. And But I've had that dream 50 times as well. Right. And that's nothing to do with aliens. That's just to do with how much I hated maths A-level, <laughs> right. genuinely. But I, <laughs> There's probably not a book in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly not a maths book. But it is... Is she reading too much into this? Yes, well, there, that that is a possibility, I think. And also, the more she gets into the alien theory, does it almost, are you feeding this beast, in a way, if you know what I mean? Now, I mentioned earlier that Sharon felt there were two types of extraterrestrials in her dreams. One she was very scared of, and the grey skeleton monsters who Sharon's described as almost friendly. <laughs> After that breathing incident, I'm not sure I'd have said that. But well, well, I mean, that's why I wondered whether it was a reptilian because I was just listening to uh, a report on another podcast of a reptilian and a grey, right. and and it was like good cop, bad cop, what oh, they were okay. doing in terms of like shut up and the other one going you'll be okay you know that sort of thing right and i just that sort of made me think of it okay well there's some themes of that coming up in a minute actually which is interesting there is the gray aliens which the skeleton monsters which are slightly more friendly and then the one she's really scared of and she has dreams with this scarier version repeatedly as well she describes them as dreams about the bad man at the door oh Right, okay. So these felt real and they were followed by 
friendly alien grey dreams. So it's a which kind of what you're saying felt that feels a bit good, good cop, bad cop, or bad cop and then good cop, right? Yes. Um, I mean, it's odd that they maybe she's just experiencing the dreams of when the sort of the grey was like, it's okay, we're going to put you back. Yeah, it's going to be all right. Yeah. Well, here are some examples. She says, one dream I saw a genuine UFO. It really was saucer shaped with a dome. A bright white blip of light. It zipped in, then zipped away, just like on TV. Bad man at the door. I was living at my mum's house. The front door was messed up, and none of the door locks worked. None of them. I got the creeps, and then someone knocked at the door. My cousin Abby was nearby, wearing flannel pyjamas. She got really scared and tiptoed quickly up the stairs with tears in her eyes. The man at the door was cool, though. He was someone I knew. There was no reason to be afraid. I woke up to the loud sound of someone trying to mess with the door lock, but it was only a dream. I was still sleeping. The doorbell rang in the middle of the night. Suspicious. I looked through the peephole, but it was dark. I couldn't see anything, as if someone were holding their hand over the peephole. Finally, the hand moved away and a voice said, It's Abby. I saw Abby's open door through the peephole, but I couldn't see her. I was very suspicious. Something didn't strike me right, especially about Abby's bravery at being in the hallway in the middle of the night and how wide open her door was. Struck me as being very strange. Now, Sharon says the UFO sightings and the bad man at the door dreams would be followed over the next couple of nights by the ETs, my friend dreams, as she describes them. And I think that's really interesting because what I found quite almost ironic is the real, the ones where she wakes up and feels drugged are often featuring the bad man at the door. But she says in those dreams she doesn't feel scared. But then she has the E.T. of my friend's dreams, but she would often wake up terrified from those dreams. But they didn't feel so. I'm not sure if she's exactly saying this, but it's as if she's saying the first dreams, the man at the door, that's the abduction, that's the scream memory. The ones the nights after are almost her processing what was going on and reliving moments from that. That that I can see completely the logic in that. I can. She did this again. I'm going to read you this next bit first and then see if it reminds you of something because immediately I read it, it reminded me of something. So in this, she says in the dream, there was an ET with a light bulb in his forehead or his chest. He was my friend. He was very happy that I'd done something, though I do not recall what it was. I laid my head on his chest. In the next segment, a little man or possibly a child created a life-size doll with spongy mushroom skin. The doll was attached to its creator with a rope. Apparently, the little man, the mushroom skin doll, and I were appearing on a game show. Oh, no. The dream is very disjointed, but it involved a replica of a house, what she describes as cold items, I'm not sure what they are, um, ashtrays, styrofoam, and a puzzle with a missing piece. We were in a contest to create a piece 
that would fit into the, complete the puzzle. There was a flight of stairs with a huge puzzle piece either next to it or under the stairs. In the end I could not remember who won the contest. The same little man was in the next dream and I was the little man's friend. When E.T. found out that me and the little man were friends, his light bulb lit up and illuminated him from the inside. Then he hugged me hard and cried. <laughs> was it something the little man gave me or taught me that told E.T. that I knew the little man? And that's weird. Now the little man was dead. At first I was somewhat uncomfortable with the E.T. hug. What was the motive? In the end, I accepted the hug realising that no motive existed but joy in the moment. There's quite a lot to unpack there, isn't there? That's quite um, unusual. I mean, there's a bit of... I guess what she's trying to say is that these are all like um, rat-in-maze-type problems set for humans. yeah. Yeah, lab rats. But... I don't know. I feel uncomfortable about the it hugged me, the little man. Yeah. There's quite a lot of implications like, from that, isn't there? Well, there is. There's a lot of stuff that is like children's TV. I mean, ET as well. well I, this what when I read it, I was like, hold on, but I know ET didn't have a glowing head, but he had a glowing heart at one point, right? He did, and finger. Also, there is that. Um, there is that conspiracy that Spielberg was... It's like that bit in um, Paul, isn't it? Spielberg was influenced by all the actual real yes, extraterrestrial yes. stuff. So, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's life imitating art. Yeah. <laughs> or art a, imitating life, one of the two. I, th- I think I think possibly, but... I, I don't know. I I'm still very much trying to because if the i understand these are not your typical screen memories because your typical screen memories are you know i was coming home late at night and there was a huge petrol station and then the next day you're like hang on there isn't a petrol station there and it's covering for presumably the lights of a ufo or or owl sightings owl sightings there was there's um that uh uh, guy who is it paul seaburn who talks about his screen memories of seeing um, lots of rabbits in a field and him then realising they weren't rabbits. You know, that sort of screen memory. Deer as well, that's another thing. Mm. The screen memories that I've read about before don't... They're not usually this weird. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, they're almost... The point of them is almost to be mundane, is what you're That's exactly right, yes. I'm going to get on to some other dreams now. Now, these ones are... Uh, for when Sharon's an adult. And this started me thinking about whether almost her research into the subject was almost influencing the way things are going. Because as she got older, the dream started to shift from the task and puzzle solving, I guess, to what you would describe as more cliched themes that we see with alien abduction stories or even UFO religions. So there's lots of her interpreting dreams that are stories of the end of the world, themes of humankind needing to reach their true potential, dreams of destruction, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions. And they all seem to have an accompanying almost spiritual message or symbolism 
to them. I'm only going to do one example of these, but she said, and it gets that way in the end, she said, I dreamt that a man I knew was standing in the doorway of my bedroom and I was uncomfortable with his presence. What did he want? Through the window I saw a UFO. Wow, I was actually witnessing a real UFO. I'd always wondered how sure a person would be, and for me there was no doubt about it. I was so excited. Come, look, wow, neat, incredible. Then I saw a UFO on the ground. This is strange. It was very small, about a foot in diameter. It was the stereotypical saucer shape with a clear dome. I went outside for a closer look. Apparently the fear of going outside didn't apply to this dream. It had been raining. The ground was still damp and a toad hopped across the driveway. I stopped for a moment to look at the toad as I didn't often see them, but I didn't bother the toad. I crept up to the UFO wondering where its occupants were. Oddly enough, I didn't wonder about the small size. Suddenly the sky was full of UFOs. They were everywhere and some were landing. I was barefoot and tried hard not to step anywhere that UFOs had landed, least I step in radioactive gook or something. At some point, <laughs> this is weird, my cat got wedged in between the inner and outer window of our house. Now she makes some connection that this was almost the aliens trying to get the cat out and something went wrong. Right, okay. The dream then switched to me being in a house with other people, particularly two good-looking guys who I wanted to hang out with. I was dressed in men's beige pants that were so big they were almost to the top of my breasts. I was self-conscious of how I, dress, I was dressed as I looked ridiculous. The head of the house was asking for volunteers, which struck me as odd, since we were all volunteers. I wanted to volunteer as it meant spending time with the two hotties, as she describes <laughs> them. I'm not sure if the next segment was what I'd volunteered for, but I was in a bookstore full of books and had chosen the section where antique books were. A lady wearing a ghost outfit was talking about empowerment. I'd found a book about a man who empowered the paternal spirit within us all, and that spirit in turn empowered us. The ghost woman pulled out a different book, which explained that we did not need to be externally empowered, that the power was already within us. We already knew it, that we'd been brainwashed since birth, and we did not know how to access our own power because of our lack of knowledge we needed help in learning how to access and use the power that we possessed. So that's a dream with a message. Dream with the message about empowerment, which then yeah. leads to her talking a lot about the concept of the rapture. Now, Ben, I guess the concept of the rapture is probably strongest among evangelical Christians. Although there yeah. are there are there are variations of it in different religions. Sure. Basically it's you know, it's the end of days, those with faith will be taken into the heavens, reborn and saved. Basically. Right, right. right. Now themes of this as illustrated in this dream. She says a brown haired man was chasing me through a train tunnel. A train came and I ducked into a side door of the tunnel. He came out and looked around, hoping to spot me. Just as I was mapping out an escape plan, I heard a faint buzzing like a faraway bee. The buzzing grew louder as I rose up out of the depths of my sleep. Lying semi-awake in bed, the buzzing grew louder and hovered over my boyfriend's chest. He jerked slightly as if it had bitten him, and then it buzzed down to my feet. 
It landed on my left foot and bit me. Then it buzzed away through the living room and down the hallway, blinking twice like a firefly. Why aren't the cats chasing it? And what the hell, fireflies don't bite. But then I was wide awake. Looking out of the window, I saw that it was the first glimpse of dawn, where the sky is halfway between night and day. This was meant to wake me up. But who and why? I pondered the future. I wondered if the rapture could come heralded by an insect. It could sneak up without warning, and I must learn to listen, least I not hear when I'm called to go. There's a lot of very confusing symbology in this. There is. Because presumably, if she's going down a Christian bent, she might be sort of thinking that these experiences may be demonic. Is is she thinking that? I, I, I think when she refers to the rapture, I'm, she doesn't really go into her religious beliefs. I didn't get the impression that it was some deeply held Christian belief. I think it... It's a simile for what she's saying. Yeah, I think it's ah. more the concept of the world will come to an end, these people are trying to help us, or these alien races trying oh, to help us. Oh, I see. And those that have helped them will be saved. Right, okay. I mean, I don't think that gets us into a better place, because that feels almost cultish. That's Heaven's Gate-ish. It does get a bit like that. She explores these themes of end and da- ends of days and the rapture. What I did quite like about the book is... She's quite open about the fact that many people might find that a bit quasi-religious or preachy. So she's actually got a note of saying, if that's you, just skip the next two chapters, which I thought was quite cool. (laughs) Okay, she's self-aware. I think the other implication here could be that this is a message that she, if you go with it, this is a message that she's being fed to make her continue to participate in whatever's going yes. on. If you carry on, if you're good, you will be saved. And that bit in the dream where she said, I've got to be alert, otherwise I'll miss them when it's time to go, almost reminds me of the things we did the uh, thing we did the other week on Paranormal Scammers. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Don't want to miss out. You know, I'm very busy. You might miss out. Similar psychology, isn't it? Well, I mean, this is what we hear a lot in... The abductee community, I mean, there are two sides to the story, of course, but quite often I think we're hearing they're preaching these sort of love and light and, oh, we're just here to save humanity. But at the same time, they're strapping people to tables and doing egg harvesting, as you mentioned. Like, I don't. It doesn't ring true. It's kind of like they're covering it up. If, if there is such a thing, they're covering up their true intentions. Now, if I was her, I would be looking for real world, like in in her consciousness, real world um, evidence for what's been going on. So has she got her clothes on back to front? Has she got any strange marks? Has she got nosebleeds? Is any of that coming forward? Well, it's interesting you say that, Ben. It's almost like you've been reading my notes or the book. (laughs) I really haven't. (laughs) Yes, that there's some of that coming up right now. Um, now, I said earlier that these dreams didn't generally touch on stereotypical themes of alien productions, and that was true, but some of them did. There's an interesting chapter that highlights two dreams, one of which has themes of medical examination, 
and one that could be connected with an alien implant. And we'll come on to one later as well that has some real-life implications as well. So if we take the examination dream first, what's interesting is that Sharon can actually track this back to an actual event in her childhood where she suffered a serious eye injury as a toddler, which has left her with a strange visible scar on her eyeball. Okay. Now, Sharon says she doesn't remember what happened to cause the injury, but it did feature in a dream later. She says that in the dream, she was a toddler in a crib when the injury occurred. I remember exactly how it happened. I was playing with a stuffed toy bunny rabbit. We're on to bunny rabbits. Mm. It had long ears with an embedded wire that allowed me to bend the ears into any position. There was a small hole at the base of the rabbit's ear which allowed me to pull the wire out. The wire was shaped like a boomerang. I held it up in a V position with my hand holding the far segment of the V. My other hand was pushing the V together so that when I let go the wire would vibrate and make a boing noise. I was utterly fascinated. I thought this V toy was very great fun until I bonged right into my eyeball. I remember the drive to hospital. I was in the back seat of a car rather than an ambulance. I remember the face of an adult woman, possibly my mother or aunt, turning around towards me, reaching out a hand and saying something. At the hospital, I was put in a white hammock, surrounded by white-clad doctors and nurses. I swear that they actually removed my eye from its socket and then put it back. My mother swears they did not. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they did not. So Sharon believes the injury did happen. She did go to hospital, but the dream could be a screen memory. She said... Her her mum does remember this, though. Yes, remembers the... Not, well... I'm going to say yes because she writes as it as if her, like that bit of my mum says they didn't take my eyeball out leads you to believe. It's a bit confusing whether that was actually in the dream or it's happened, but she definitely has got this scar on her eye and there was an incident of her injuring her eye as a child. Okay. She said, did I injure myself playing with a toy rabbit? Was the rabbit a screen memory of something more otherworldly? It is possible that I remember a medical procedure aboard a UFO which left an eye injury and then had to have a different procedure at a regular hospital when their injury was discovered. Other abductees have described objects or needles being inserted into their eyes. So it is indeed possible. So here's some real life evidence. Even as an adult, it's not uncommon for me to wake up with bruises that were not there before going to bed. I have had other dreams which involved both UFOs and medical procedures. I also went missing from the same house at right around the same age as the bunny rabbit incident. Now that does sound a little bit more abductee and I can understand where she's going with it. I, I suppose the thing that makes me... I'm not questioning, I'm just trying to understand where she's coming from, is I just haven't heard this kind of thing coming before because she's she's she is if i'm writing this she's relaying what she sees as dreams she's not relaying something which she thinks is a memory of being awake and but a different thing happened if you sort of mean so i didn't see deer i was purely awake i didn't see deer yeah i saw an alien she's saying she goes to sleep 
and then she has these crazy dreams and they are, it's down to her abductions. So I haven't read your notes, but does she get regressed? No, she didn't want to be regressed. Mm. No, she didn't want to. The next dream, Sharon believes she could be connected with an alien implant. She said, I had surgery which involved inserting a catheter into my side, into which I was supposed to insert a tube when I needed to go and pee. I'd gone into the bathroom with such an intent. I had the tube in the hand and was looking for the catheter hole to stick it in. It's going to hurt, I thought, as I searched for the entry hole. Then I discovered that I did not need the catheter and could pee normally. Even so, the hole in my side apparently served another purpose as well, such as blood pressure checks. The hole was red and ugly and stuck way out. I could feel a hard gadget under the skin, which was shaped like the letter T with plugged off ends. In the bathroom, I kept finding money on the back of the toilet and I took it. First, I found $125, then 20 and then 10 Every time I went into the bathroom, there was more money, so I kept on going in. That, wait, so that's a real thing that happened? That's not a dream that happened? There, she had a medical procedure around that time, but the dream, again, it's one of those where she thinks the medical procedure may have been necessary because of an event that happened while she was abducted. But the, but the money collecting, is no, she really collecting money? No, that's part of the dream. Oh, I see. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now, in her 30s, these real-type dreams become almost crippling for Sharon. She becomes fearful of the dark. Uh, she talks about she wouldn't even take the bins out if it was nightfall. To be honest, I hate putting the bins out. Yeah. They stink. Yeah, it's not terri- you're not terrified, though. It's more you don't want to, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. Um, she felt scared to take a shower as she felt vulnerable and, of course, terrified of sleeping. Often she'd try and stay awake for days on end. That's going to make you sick. Yeah, that whole combination. But we know that other reported features of UFO encounters are missing time. Now, Sharon experienced this in her dreams, but also, as we were alluding to earlier, also significantly in real life as well. So here is a real-life incident. This is not a dream. There was an incident where she was drinking with friends in a bar, left to go and get something from home. She thought she'd be gone for an hour and then come back, but she goes missing for several days. When her friends catch up with her on this, Sharon was confused as from her perspective, she had just left the bar an hour ago. Okay, that sounds like real typical abductee. There's also a story from when she was a child. Um, she said her aunt tells this story often. It was when Sharon was two years old, she went missing from the house. It caused quite a stir in the family and neighbours were searching the surrounding area for hours looking for her. They eventually found her in the living room, where is where the search began, sitting behind a curtain, giggling. Sharon points out that as a two-year-old, could she really have kept quiet and hidden behind the curtains for hours without anybody noticing? And of course, it is, that is possible, I guess. However, Sharon also traced this incident 
to around the same time she went to hospital with her eye injury. Okay, so the eye, the eye thing. I think the the sort of the standout thing there is she swears that her eye was taken out of its socket. Yeah, that is something I've heard from other abductees. I wonder whether. Just giving this a hot take, it feels like she might be muddling up. If it if she really is being abducted, I feel like she might be conflating two concurrent experiences. Yeah. And also that thing about your eye being taken out. I remember when I was quite young, I got some grit in my eye, on my eyelid, behind my eyelid, and had to go to hospital or have it taken out. The grit, not the eye. Um and I don't know what they did. I think they must have lifted my eyelid right up and got in there and mm. got it out. But, you know, as a kid, that's quite a traumatic oh, experience. Very much so. But, you know, I, I, I'm i pretty sure that afterwards I remember telling my parents, did that, or asking them, did they take my eyeball out? <laughs> you would do that. Yeah, that's what just a boy almost, says. Yeah, yeah, it's just a natural reaction, isn't it? It is. It is, absolutely. Well, there are other real events rather than dreams. Sharon describes what she tools missing pregnancies when Sharon was 19 she used birth control she was on the pill but had a couple of occasions when she missed her period and thought she might be pregnant she writes when I was 19 years old I skipped a period one month nor did it come the next or the next four months in a row passed and still my period did not come I did not go to the doctor so I cannot say beyond a doubt that I was pregnant Back then, we didn't think of parental care or make major adjustments in our life for pregnancy. In addition, abortions had only been legal for four years, and it just wasn't an option that most people considered. I grew up during an era when teen pregnancy was frowned upon. If the mother-to-be was still in high school, she was hidden away until she had had the baby, which was then often given up for adoption. Pregnancy outside marriage was uncommon, and such children were called the B-word and not thought of highly. Shotgun weddings were arranged to prevent B-word children. Having sex outside of marriage was also frowned upon, which painted me as a bad girl in spite of the free love generation of the 60s that had gone before me. I shared my pregnancy suspicions with my boyfriend, which caused us to have quite an argument. We were both relieved when my period resumed after four months of being absent, figuring it had just been a false alarm. But the following year it happened again. Exactly four months went by without a period and then suddenly it came. Those two years marked the diminishing of the whirlwind dreams, after which they came less and less frequently until one day they were gone forever. Had the aliens gotten what they wanted from me, two fetuses in their second trimester, or was it merely another coincidence in a lifelong string of odd coincidences? I'm certainly more inclined to um, to sort of go with that. I mean, that is we're now getting into the realms, as I say, of classic abduction um, scenarios. Yeah. So she sort of believes that. Well, she doesn't believe. She senses that maybe maybe she's been part of a hybridization program. Yeah, and that now she's you know, of the age where that's... She's either giving them what she wants or she can't give them anymore. Then yeah. it ends. I mean, this this tallies with, you know, almost every abduction experience and book I've ever read. Well, she then goes on to talk about her health issues. She says that she'd been plagued in her life with poor health and medical conditions, including an early menopause. She says... 
this at the time of the writing the book, which I think was 2017 or 18, said, I'm currently 54 years old, but I feel like I'm in my 70s. I struggle with health issues which they cannot explain. My body feels so much older than it really is, and I've been battling this for decades. The health issues started around the time of the most intense period of UFO dreams. Hmm. I mean, that could be psychological, though. That could be. And to be honest, there's many a times that, you know, I feel like 70. (laughs) And I don't think I've been abducted by aliens. Yeah, I quite agree. I quite agree. I mean, you see, I mean, I've discussed this once or twice before. I have had some very weird dreams that I remember from being a kid, ones that I can remember from being five or six years old. And they've got owls, they've got flying over the countryside, they've got little robots, they've got all of that. Yeah. And I've toyed with sort of... um, you know, wondering whether that started my fascination with the alien um, scenario, right. whether I should be regressed. I sort of never have done it. But not the probe! <laughs> <laughs> not the, no, exactly. I mean, it would explain so much. <laughs> yeah. But I don't... I, I, I've only considered it as a kind of... I'm not, I'm not not considering what I mean, but it doesn't come into my brain every day. But then when you start laying, layering on, I mean, I have unexplained bruises in the morning, but that's because I stumble to the toilet in the night <laughs> and it's dark and I've probably been to the pub. And I, I sort of, yes, I sometimes do have odd experiences, but I put them down to just being the human condition. Nothing like what she's gone through. So I do feel like she's gone through something. But I would argue that we... I mean, she's probably saying it. We can't know whether she's sort of been mentally troubled by something which has turned into something physical Mm. or it is external influence. We This is the problem with the whole whole abduction scenario. Yeah. I happen to believe that there are a lot of people who absolutely are telling the truth. I mean, I've told you, I've, I I made a whole television programme, a whole series about it, and, and I really do believe those people are telling the truth, and they've all got different experiences to tell. Hers would just be one of the colourful canvas of those experiences. Mm. So I don't know, but I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't wish that on anyone. It does sound like a very, very unpleasant thing to go through. Well... I mean, certainly towards the end, she started to feel that it was some kind of hybridisation programme that was going on. And she illustrates this. She said there were dreams where she saw animals in cages or rows of cubicles, and we've come across that before. Yes, the Pembrokeshire case. Yes, that one. Exactly. There's a bit that reminded me very much of that. She also states that she has never been a child lover. She never had a kid, she never wanted a kid, but she was passionate about cats. And in one of her dreams, she believes a cat has replaced a baby in a screen memory. (laughs) Gosh. Here is a section from the dream. I think we'd flown somewhere on a plane and my cats were in quarantine. I was forbidden to see them for one month, or was it six months? At random, I walked into a room and discovered that it was full of cats, all in containers under quarantine. 
Some were in cardboard boxes, some were in cages and others were running loose. The containers were on top of benches and there were rows of benches. I looked in a box and thought the cat was my cat, so I picked her up and started cooing. Then I realised it wasn't my cat, so I put her back. I felt guilty because some lady witnessed my abrupt change of attitude towards the cat. Her Her expression was disapproving, as if she was thinking, how could you ignore your cat after it's been here for so long? After a few minutes later, I found my cat in another box. She was ecstatic to see me. I found my other cat running loose under the benches. I was working out a plan to sneak them out of quarantine. So she wonders whether the first cat that she picked up represented a human hybrid baby and that her rejection of it had surprised or upset the aliens. I can, I absolutely see the logic of the narrative of that, yeah. And yeah, as, as I kind of said, she, she eventually, these dreams, scream memories, whatever they are, stopped. She says this connects with her no longer being of childbearing age. I'm just going to get into the conclusion and then maybe we can talk a bit more about it uh, from a sceptical point of view because I did read the book once, after, as we often do, and just kind of took it in and then I thought I'd go back and kind of read it with more of a sceptical eye. But before that, her conclusion is, she writes... I've taken you through decades of intense fear, followed by new ways of looking at the aliens and what they might be doing here. Instead of killing me or grafting an ear onto my forehead, they have me solving puzzles. So the next question is whether I am still personally afraid. Could I reach out my hand if I saw an alien standing next to me? Could I smile in a gesture of friendship? Would I willingly go to their ship to continue whatever we were doing up there? Would I welcome a powwow with an alien? Am I still afraid? To start with the last question, yes, I am still very much afraid. I've tried to tell myself that I shouldn't be, as whatever they are doing has not yet killed me, and I do not believe that my demise is their ultimate intention. Will the blackness lift away like a veil exposing a different world? What sort of world would it be? Is it full of creatures waiting to pounce on you the moment you get there? Are there friends reaching out to take your hand and guide you? The unknown is scary as hell. It's really affected her. Really affected her. So let's let's talk about it. So the second reading of the book, I put my sceptic head on a bit more. Because, you know almost in a paradoilia kind of way even when I was reading it I was interpreting all kinds of things and going oh she's missed that bit that bit means that do you know what I mean and maybe Mm -hmm. it did Mm -hmm. and maybe it didn't Um, so firstly I want to say that I'm not sure exactly when Sharon started journaling these eventful dreams but obviously it wasn't when she was two years old so you know early childhood she wasn't So the childhood dreams are kind of catalogued from either her memory of them or the fact that they are reoccurring dreams. And from a sceptical point of view, you've picked up on this yourself. You might say, is she reliving a traumatic true life experience? 
maybe it's more a terrestrial one than an alien abduction trauma. And I wonder, I started to think almost like a screen memory. If you have got a, let's call it a real life, I know real life's a weird way of describing it, a more terrestrial, let's say that, trauma, in some ways it might be easier to frame it in an alien abduction scenario than the actual traumatic event that happened to you. Yes, yes, I think that's true. And that's a screen memory in a way, isn't it? In her definition. Yes, it is. And I think we've spoken about it before, some really harrowing accounts of... And I'm not going into sort of satanic panics and stuff, but some children have covered up you know, abuse by human adults by putting fantasy scenarios right. over the top of it yeah. to help them cope. And it's only years later where they've had to be coached into sort of confronting those um, those terrible memories when they've got out of it. And and I guess, you know, one could attribute some of the things she's saying to something like that. Yeah. Also, the other thing that I think you picked up on that I thought from a more sceptical point of view is the more that she seemed to delve deeper into the world of UFOs and UFO lore, the more the dreams became about UFOs and more stereotypical, let's call it, abduction scenarios. Yes, yes. And you know what I was thinking of then? Because I was trying to apply all of this to my own dreams and every time... So I, I have a terrible phobia of aircraft... If there's anybody that I know that has booked a holiday and is telling me about, you know, oh, I've got to get to Gatwick at 5am or something, I start having dreams about aeroplanes. I mean, it's not even it's not even random. It happens every single time, and I'll have it for two or three nights. I'll have worry dreams about aircraft. That's, that's because you're worried about going through customs. Not the probe! <laughs> <laughs> But again, you could, you know, if you talk about some of the things that you've talked about today, okay, it's not, they're not quite as full on as Sharon's dreams, but we could make quite a good post-rationalised scenario for you being involved in a UFO abduction. This way, you don't want to go on planes, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, you could, absolutely. But uh, that's, I don't interpret it to that, it's just because... No, no, I'm just... No, no, I agree, I agree, you could do, you could do that, yes. Yeah, I guess you, a sceptic, might say that her obsession with UFOs created an unconscious bias that affected her interpretation of her dreams, is basically what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. Now, I guess she might counter that by saying, no, no, the more she found out about the UFO scenario, the more the dreams made sense. I guess that's the counterpoint. But I wonder if the childhood dreams could have been reinterpreted in later life, post-rationalised by her investigations and beliefs in UFOs and hearing abduction stories. I mean, I kept thinking about the skeleton monster. Maybe it was just that, a skeleton dream. Do you know what I mean? But when you start wondering if it could be a grey alien, you start to shape that narrative or interpretation in that direction, you, don't you? You do, you do, absolutely. One example of that was Sharon at one point in the book describes what she believed could have been a visitation to an alien planet. But when I read it, I felt from the description of the dream it was a stretch. It could have easily just been a dream 
of admittedly surreal but ultimately beautiful earthbound beach she describes this beach with these lovely grasses that go out into the sea it's like I'm like, well, it doesn't sound like an alien world. It just looks like a, sounds like a surreal dream version of a beach. You know what I mean? But she gave it this big kind of thing. I remember um, being told by when I was a kid that we were going to go somewhere that had a beach bar. And in my wildest dream, I didn't know what a beach bar was. And I literally thought there was going to be like a bar, like from a pub, like stretching the length of the beach and going into the <laughs> sea. Like and and that's what I I was thinking of. So it it depends on what your frame of reference is, yeah, and what you interpret as being just the human imagination or something else. I mean, I really struggle with that. But then, how do you all of the things that she says about like um, uh, the children, her period? That could be a medical condition, couldn't it? Yeah, or brought on by the stress of these yeah. traumatic dreams, even. Yeah. Know. Finally, one thing, I know it's almost like a go-to thing for me, but again, while I was reading the book, I thought about it a lot. I considered the possibility that this all could be connected with sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... We've talked about it a lot. People who experience sleep paralysis often see the same things like the old hag. However, there have been connections made with some alien abductions, you know, being a hallucination brought on by the sleep paralysis. Because some extreme cases of sleep paralysis can go on for hours, even days. And that would also account for missing time because your perception of time is all out of the place and you're hallucinating. It would also explain the fact that these dreams felt different, more real, more paranormal. I know from my experience of having a sleep paralysis incident, to say the least, it's unsettling, different to a normal dream. It sticks with you. It felt, you know, I knew it was a dream, but it felt really real. It was really disconcerting. I was quite, say, traumatised, but it stuck with me for months afterwards until... I saw a documentary about sleep paralysis and was like, that's what I had, that's what I had, and then it made sense, but it was disturbing. Also, the frequency of what she describes as the whirlwind dreams. I mean, at most, they were happening three or four times a year, which could also fit in with that theory of sleep paralysis quite well. Mm. Not every dream, but you have occasions. There was one bit in the book, it's the last bit I'll do from the book, She says, I was sleeping on my side with my right hip facing upwards when a hand grabbed my right hip and physically pushed me down into the mattress, waking me up. I then felt an evil presence in the room and my first reaction was to mentally shove the hand away. That's, I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting her dreams, but that sounds like a sleep paralysis incident That absolutely is classic sleep paralysis, yes. Well, whether whether you go with Sharon's belief that these dreams are screen memories or alien abductions or you're going to come at it from a more skeptical stance I still would fully recommend the book it's well written the use of the dream journal is fascinating in itself even if you're just interpreting them as dreams rather than an abduction story I think you'll get something out of it and you kind of talked about this you know she's definitely been through something traumatic or these dreams had a really big impact on her life and 
I just kept thinking, I'm glad that they've stopped now. <laughs> and she's got out of that. If you're interested in the book, it's called Alien Nightmares, The Awakening, Screen Memories of UFO Alien Abductions, written by Sharon Adela Rose. Uh, paperbacks you can pick up on Amazon for about eight quid. Good find, really good find. And I think the thing about it is, whichever angle you come at it from, you can only get a sense of what really is going on by reading lots of people's accounts and being open-minded to them, but also being um, kind and sympathetic as you have been with it. Because I know from, as I say, from my experience of meeting people, whatever it is, is very traumatic. Yeah. And these people are also not making it up. So the mystery is usually, well, it's always, yeah. what is what is going on. But fascinating. Let's, you know, I think we'll absolutely, we'll, by the nature of this show, we will come back to more abduction accounts. And I think naturally we'll find more of these threads, but perhaps we'll find sort of the... Um, uh, the wave that disproves the straight line sometimes, and in in this case, she has sort of done that. So I think it's really interesting to do. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, it was just it was fascinating just reading somebody else's dreams and their interpretations of them. You know, I mean, was it Freud? Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar; it doesn't have any symbolism. But yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but still, e- even even her process of Hearing what other people dream and their interpretation of it, I find fascinating whether, you know, it does lead to a real abduction event or not. I just found that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Very, very good. Thank you for that. And speaking of dreams, it would be our dream if you would go to patreon.com forward slash TQM pod. Ignore the fact that I've just said the cheesiest thing in the entire last hour. And great work, mate. <laughs> about seven people in our audience will get that reference. Um, if you would uh, become a Patreon, help us buy more of those books, help us to keep the show growing and expanding. We've got a lovely community on there. We're yeah, very really grateful for everyone that's helping. There's a lot of chatter on our Patreon boards as well as our um messenger boards uh what am i saying not messenger facebook messenger that's right facebook yeah. messenger uh talking about the sherlock holmes tolper project more on that next week we just like to gather the stories together and yeah. put them all in one big um box of delicious sherlockness can i can i also say on that front um we really appreciate people posting and um, sending us messages and stuff uh, we're, we're getting so many of them now much more than we used to and it is just me and Ben so if it takes us a little while to get back to you or um, you know acknowledge that you've sent oh. us a message don't it's not a personal thing it's just that we're getting bigger which is great but it's still only me and Ben it, uh, absolutely <laughs> it, is, it is I was going to joke with you and say I, I hired an assistant to spend all the Patreon money but I I haven't I haven't sometimes is it that, is it that grey skin skeleton guy that I keep seeing in the corner of your room no it's that small white and black dog that woke me up at three o'clock this morning because he needed a pooper um, I know we go out of time but by the time actually this goes out on the Monday I'll be driving back from Whitby um, I'm about to go and get in a car oh, and yeah, I've heard about this yeah I'm going to go and stay in Bram Stoker's flat 
and do the Dracula thing. My partner was very generous and um, set this all up for my birthday. So we're sort of going at it around the other way. We're not ghost hunting or Dracula hunting. We're hunting the people that came up with that monster, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that idea. I, I, I had somebody else I know... Um, was writing I can't remember what the book was but he was writing a book about a famous author and the book that they wrote uh, and he stayed in the room that the book was written the original book was written I've explained that really badly (laughs) (laughs) so he he stayed in a room (laughs) and there was a book (laughs) I'm leaving it in but I'm starting again he wrote a book about a famous book and he wrote his book about it while being... Jesus Christ, I don't even understand that. There's a book in a book with a bad book. Let's leave that story. (laughs) (laughs) Interpret that how you want. (laughs) Right, (laughs) enough, enough. All right, we will be back next week hopefully Ben will be back next week if he if I know that he no longer wants to record during daylight hours I know what's happened yeah <laughs> yes yes that will be a big giveaway and also if I carry on wearing this very high scarf <laughs> yeah cool well look we'll see you next week see you next week on the quantum mechanics bye the quantum mechanics